Blog Talk Radio. Hotep, how's everybody doing? All right, Hotep A, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. It is uh, Sunday, May 27th, 2018, and we are live. Uh, normally, I broadcast on 910 AM Superstation, but because this is Memorial Day weekend, the uh, station is closed, so we're broadcasting here, okay? We're broadcasting on also on uh, Facebook Live, our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network on Facebook also, okay? So uh, those listening on Blog Talk Radio, uh, you can uh, call in and listen by phone, 914-338-1379, 914-338-1379. You can also uh, visit blogtalkradio.com, B-L-L-B-L-O-G, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. You can listen there as well, okay? All right, so we have a jam-packed show for you tonight, running a little late. It's been very hectic. Uh, so you, some of you all saw the broadcast that I did earlier in the week dealing with uh, the NFL, okay, and the NFL's new uh, policy change when it comes to um uh, the uh, protests during the national anthem. Ne- uh, uh, when NFL players kneel during the national anthem, there's been a whole lot of backlash uh, from that. We're going to talk about that some uh, on the show tonight. I did a Facebook Live broadcast on Wednesday, May 23rd, dealing with that as well. Uh, then also we're going to be joined by um, Oba William King. Oba William King, who is a uh, African American storyteller, small town storyteller, who's touring nationally. He's going to be here in Detroit uh, coming up in the next few days. Uh, so we're going to talk about him and get more information about black storytellers. Okay, what's that all about? What's the origins of it? What does he do? Okay, then um, also we saw civil rights groups protest uh, over the last couple of days, civil rights groups protest at uh, NFL headquarters uh, for the players' right to kneel. And they're saying this is a violation also of their uh, First Amendment rights as well. And largely this is an attempt uh, to... Uh, appease Donald Trump as well, who has been putting pressure on the NFL, um, trying and putting pressure on them to try to control the uh, NFL protests. Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll deal with this uh, also. And this uh, also seems like Trump is overstepping his uh, his his bo- overstepping uh, his boundaries as well. Uh, getting involved in a uh, labor issue. This is a labor issue, okay? Then also, uh, this Monday is Memorial Day, okay? May 28th is Memorial Day. Well, a lot of people don't know that Memorial Day actually has African-American origins. African-Americans were the first to celebrate what became known as Memorial Day. We'll deal with that history. And then last week on the show, we had uh, Dr. Ray Winbush. So Dr. Ray Winbush spoke at African Liberation Day uh, here in Detroit, uh, Friday, May 25th, Saturday, May 26th, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, okay? And uh, I was there as well. So we're going to share an excerpt of his uh, presentation on Saturday dealing with reparations and what is reparations and the case for reparations. And then uh, uh, last weekend, um, uh, let's see, uh, May 19th was um, 
last Saturday was Malcolm X's 93rd birthday at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. They had a celebration, uh, and uh, they brought in A. Peter Bailey, A. Peter Bailey, who was a friend of Malcolm's, Malcolm's and wrote for the Afro-American, uh, the Organization of Afro-American Unity, wrote for the newspaper. I'm going to share an excerpt of that uh, presentation with you as well. A. Peter Bailey did a comparative analysis between Dr. King and Malcolm X, and especially uh, looking at them toward the end of both of their lives and how their ideologies will converge. Okay, So on the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. Uh, I will be speaking Tuesday, May 29th, um, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Uh, they're going to do um, uh, a screening of uh, a portion of the documentary Out of Darkness, looking at Nile Valley Civilization, then with Ancient Kemet. Amadeus Christ, director Amadeus Christ will be there. Uh, Brother Toby uh, 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 Tenzo helped organize this. And uh, I'll be doing a presentation dealing with the film Black Panther, analysis of the film Black Panther. Okay, so let's jump into this uh, conversation here dealing with the NFL. All right, so Washington Post has an article. All the news outlets had articles about this. It was a good segment yesterday, May 26th, on AM Joy, Joanne Reed, uh, MSNBC, dealing with this. So uh, Washington Post has an article, NFL owners approve new national anthem policy with hope of ending protests. NFL owners approve new national anthem policy with hope of ending protests. So in an attempt to quell a controversy that engulfed the country's most popular sport uh, last fall, the NFL altered its policy regarding the national anthem, no longer requiring pop uh, players to be on the field during its uh, playing before games, but allowing teams and the league to impose discipline for those who protest publicly during the song, okay? So with this new policy, they're saying that the players don't have to be on the field during the playing of the National Anthem. They can stay in the locker room. Previously, they were required to be on the field, okay? But it's saying that the league will impose fines on uh, the teams, respectively, if players protest during the National Anthem. Now, the new policy, which was announced Wednesday, uh, May 23rd, uh, after a two-day meeting of the league's 32 owners, uh, leads it to individual teams to discipline players for acts deemed disrespectful during the anthem, but also gives the league wide discretion to fine teams, F-I-N-E, to fine teams, a wide discretion to fine teams for actions taken by players, okay? Uh, so, the, so the NFL has gotten a lot of backlash. Number one, Donald Trump, who we all know is a white supremacist, has been putting pressure on the NFL to control the protests. Now, Donald Trump does not want to deal with why they're protesting, and this, starts, this started with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, was first recognized at the preseason game August 26, uh, 2016, uh, when San Francisco 49ers were playing against the Green Bay Packers. And then the next day, you know, Steve Weiss writes an article for NFL.com and uh, all hell breaks loose, basically. Okay. So Colin Kaepernick explained that he was uh, first sitting on the bench. Then he moved to kneeling after a meeting with Nate Boyer, who's a former Green, B Green Beret and former NFL player. And they switched from uh, sitting on the bench to kneeling because kneeling is a sign of respect in the military. 
Now, if Donald Trump served in the military, he would know this, but he got five deferments because he was too much of a coward to go fight in Vietnam. He got five deferments so he didn't have to go fight in Vietnam. This is why we call him Cadet Bone Spurs or President Bone Spurs. Okay? So um, Colin Kaepernick made it clear. He said he was uh, uh, protesting to uh, protest against uh, uh, racism and the oppression of people of color. Okay, and he actually said when that flag represents what it's supposed to represent, I will stand for the flag. But people don't want to focus on why the protests are taking place uh, by the NFL players and about 70 percent of the league is African-American. They just want them to stop protesting. They don't want to deal with police brutality. They don't want to deal with white supremacy, racism. They don't want to deal with the oppression of people of color. Okay. So this is a this is a total distraction not to deal with the reason why the protests are taking place. All right. Okay. so uh, so the changes met the changes uh, were met uh, quickly with approval from Vice President uh, Mike Pence, former governor of Indiana, and skepticism from the NFL Players Association, which said it was not consulted on the changes. So here you have a change in labor laws but you're not consulting the NFL Players Association. But as we found out on Thursday, as we found out on Thursday, New York Daily News reported and other outlets as well, this was not an official vote that took place, okay? This was not an official vote that took place, all right? Okay, so uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said, quote, clearly our objective as a league and to all 32 clubs which was unanimous, is that we want people to be respectful of the national anthem. We want people to be respectful of the national anthem. Now, first of all, you know how I feel about the national anthem. And here's my presentation, uh, the racist history of the white national anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance, the racist history of the white national anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. And you can order this from our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This deals with the whole history of the National Anthem, the Pledge of Allegiance. Francis Scott Key, who was a white supremacist slave owner, who wrote the National Anthem. It started out uh, called uh, Defense of Fort McHenry, Defense of Fort McHenry, September 13, 1814, during the War of 1812. Okay? And this was written by white people, for white people, about white people, signed in the law by white people. So we knew this was not a national anthem. This is why James Weldon Johnson created the black national anthem, lift every voice and sing, because we knew the white one was not for us. All right. Now, um, and we're going to bring on uh, uh, Oba William King here in just a minute. So stand by, brother. Okay. Uh, now, the changes are the latest development in a polarizing debate that began with Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem in 2016 to protest police brutality and then became more heated last fall 2017 following comments from Donald Trump, okay, who doesn't want to talk about police accountability, doesn't want to talk about police misconduct, doesn't want to talk about police brutality unless he's encouraging police to be brutal to suspects, okay? There's no accountability. We see that uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is have is taking a hands-off approach to police okay they're not going to do any more um investigations of the patterns and practices of police departments okay so this is a total reversal of the policies coming from the obama administration i mean i hope people realize this basically people that sat home and didn't vote okay 
And, and Donald Trump even thanked black people who, who didn't vote. He said, your vote was almost as good as the ones that voted for me. All these over 100 policy reversals under President Obama have taken place under Trump. Over 100 policy reversals from, from President Obama have, take, uh, for, for, have been reversed under Donald Trump. Now, all these initiatives dealing with criminal justice reform under President Obama have been reversed under Trump. Hashtag elections have consequences. Okay. Now, the changes are the latest development in the polarizing debate that began with Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem in 2016 to protest police brutality and then became more heated last fall following comments from Donald Trump, who first criticized protesting players at a rally and later ripped the league in a series of tweets for not taking stronger action. Now, isn't it interesting how Donald Trump loves to praise police, which is law enforcement, but he's at odds with the FBI and the Department of Justice, which is law enforcement. You, you never saw Republicans in the past denigrate the FBI and the Department of Justice because the, the Republican Party was the party of law and order. Here you have Donald Trump who praises police but antagonizes the FBI, denigrates Robert Mueller, who both Democrats and Republicans praised, okay, and he and he denigrates his own uh, uh, Attorney General. They they he nominated, he 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 nominated Rosenstein, denigrates Rosenstein, okay, okay, or Rosenstein, okay. He denigrates Christopher Ray, Director of the FBI. You nominated him. Isn't this interesting? Donald Trump is a case of the chickens coming home to roost for the Republican Party. Donald Trump is a case of the chickens coming home to roost for the Republican Party. Now, under the new policy, players may choose to remain in the locker room during the playing of the national anthem. But owners said that those who choose to be on the sideline will be expected to stand. The changes also allow the league to fine teams for any protest during the anthem by one of its players, okay? Now, some people are saying, hey, look, just and this is what Dr. Ray Winbush said yesterday um, uh, at the uh, African Liberation Day, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History in Detroit. He said just one Sunday, one Sunday, he said all the black pay- players should not show up to, to play. He said just one Sunday, it'll cost, it'll cost the league so much money, just one Sunday, all the black players should just not show up, okay? Now, um, Art Rooney II, Pittsburgh Steeler owner Art Rooney II, said those who are not comfortable standing for the national anthem have the right to stay off the field. Quote, we're not forcing anybody to stand who doesn't feel that that's within the way they feel about particular subjects. But those that are on the field are going to be asked to stand. We've listened to a lot of different viewpoints, including our fans over the last year. I think this policy is meant to come out I think this policy is meant to come out at a place where we're respecting everybody's point of view on this as best we could, end quote. Do, do the, the, the fans, well, first of all, let's say that I, now I've seen numerous interviews. I've done two presentations dealing with Colin Kaepernick in the protests, right? And I told y'all last year, we need to stop watching the NFL. We need to boycott the NFL. I ain't watched any games last year, period. No, I ain't even watched the Super Bowl. The hell with it. Now they come out with this policy, basically calling, basically treating their players like slaves, and 
and so if, 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 if you still going to watch the NFL after they basically calling you an N-word to your face, something wrong with you. Now, just three weeks ago, people were up in arms over comments that Kanye West made. And they should have been because Kanye West is an idiot. Okay? But half the people who said that they would have been with Harriet Tubman, they would have been with Nat Turner during slavery, half the people who said what they would have done during slavery didn't even boycott the NFL for Colin Kaepernick. And you're talking about what you would have done in 1831 with the Nat Turner Rebellion or in the 1850s with Harriet Tubman. Half of them didn't even boycott the NFL for Colin Kaepernick. Half of them wouldn't even boycott Starbucks after the brothers were mistreated at Starbucks. They're still going to the Waffle House. So at some point, we have to realize we have to stop financing our own dehumanization. At some point, we have to realize we have to stop financing our own dehumanization, okay? All right, so, okay, brother, over. If you're on the line, press the number one key so I can bring you on the air. All right, so uh, we're going to come back to this story in just a minute. I got to uh, bring brother Ober William King on, Ober William King, okay? And this brother is fantastic. He is a, uh African-American storyteller, all right? And... Um, we have a history of the griots coming out of African history. We have a history of the griots, the storytellers, uh, in our communities, right? Okay? And I want to play a clip here for you. I want you to hear this as well. Uh, Brother Ober William King in, uh, in action. He's going to be here in Detroit uh, coming up soon. And we're going to uh, have Sister Mary Granall to tell us about that as well. Okay? All right. So... Let's, uh, I want you to hear this. Here's a clip of uh, Brother Ober William King. All right, so that's a, a clip of uh, Brother Ober William King, who is a small-town storyteller, um, touring nationally, and a favorite storyteller uh, for Family Reading, uh, for Family Reading Night, Week of the Young Child, National Reading Month, National Poetry Month, Juneteenth, Kwanzaa, and MLK Day. He brings his valued experience, expertise, and passion for the craft. His love for the uh, his love for sharing the gift with his audience to inspire and unite 
He is a student of Okoro Harold Johnson, Dr. Uh, Margaret Burroughs, Oscar Brown Jr., and uh, Kilan Phil uh, Coron in Chicago, Illinois. Now, uh, Brother Ober William King is the library manager at Forest Hill Public Library in Forest Hill, Texas, culturally known as the Poetic Storyteller, the Poetic Storyteller. He is a member of the National Association of Black Storytellers. Uh, Ober William King is a U.S. Army veteran and author, a poet, a traditional folks, uh, traditional folk tales master artist, specializing in educational entertainment, presenting assemblies, workshops, and performances at the poetic storyteller in the traditional art form of storytelling. Okay, and he says that. Uh, presenting stories and folk tales for elementary and middle school encouraged me to write a book collecting the stories I created for my daughter to share with children in the school, in the school, library, community center uh, performances. Okay. Current book, current book titles are Firefly and Little Star, as well as Read, R-E-A-D is the acronym, Read, and uh, other story poems, uh, both available at uh, Amazon.com. Okay, so we want to welcome uh, to the African History Network show, and we'll get them on here in just a second. We want to welcome to the African History Network show, um, Brother Oba William King. Let's see, this is him Jumbo, right here. Brother. Yeah, Jambo, okay, brother. brother. How are you? Brother Imhotep, peace and blessings. All right, brother. I'm all right. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. I'm blessed. I got to listen to you for about 35 minutes talking about the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and what we need to do. A whole bunch of black folks need to just stop watching NFL football. Don't care about it. Our teams never win. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. So um, uh, you are an African-American storyteller. And explain to people briefly, what exactly is that? It is uh, the traditional art form of presenting folklore, stories, historical accounts. It has blended into educational entertainment, whereas we can present programs that will both educate and entertain, using our culture, our heritage, And what has come before us within the African communities, there is the jolly, the griot, those who are born with the responsibility of telling the story of the people. And that's how those of us who came from oral society would share the history of who we are, who we were, where we came from, how we got to be who and where we are. So the modern-day storyteller has a collection of material from the African-American writers of our history and presents materials uh, to the audience who is there to hopefully glean some knowledge uh, that will strengthen us for our future. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, let people know, how long have you been doing this, and how did you get started? Um, I am a member of the National Association of Black Storytellers. 
uh, prior to that, I was in school in Santa Barbara, California for theater, theater arts. And very early in uh, the time of after the military, I went to school. And once I met Eleanor Fluellen, who was the language and literacy arts instructor, the dean of literary arts at Santa Barbara City College. And she introduced me to the writings of County Cullen, of Langston Hughes, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. It, mm-hmm. it was said that because my voice was trained in such a way from the military, I had this booming voice could stand, you know, on a soapbox and people for yards away could hear me. And my articulation and diction was such that it was clear. So she introduced me to the writing of our African-American writers from our past, and and I began to interpret the words they wrote. And I would use that style in the theater productions that I selected uh, to present in. And while doing that work, I met a group of storytellers in Chicago, Illinois, called Ashe, the Chicago Association of Black Storytellers. And there was one sister that was a part of that group who said, well, you might have been all over the country and you might have done shows everywhere, but you ain't done nothing until you've gone to NAB. <laughs> and on that particular year, NAB, the National Association of Black Storytellers, 35 years old, presents uh, uh, an annual uh, conference, festival, celebration, a reunion of blackness. This year, it'll be in Cary, North Carolina, uh, the 31st of October uh, until the uh, 4th of November. Uh, But once I went to San Diego, California, and I met this family, this, this enclave of of African American, of elders who are reaching out to teach you, who, who want to share the culture and our heritage, who celebrate blackness, who celebrate who we are, and encourage everybody who has a voice to use that voice to tell our story. And uh, so that would have been um, probably 2006. Okay. And I could to work with them, um, you know, as a featured performer. Uh, the clip that you played was from our annual Tall Tales, Jackie Torrance Tall Tales contest. Um, <laughs> we, we learn, we learn to honor our ancestors. We learn that uh, we are nothing alone. That we we work for the society, for our community, for our culture, for our heritage. And our knowledge is nothing if we don't share with those younger than us, the ones who are coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So so what type of training did you need to be able to do what you do to be able to do story time? Because everybody can't, everybody can't be animated and interesting. Ah and hold an audience uh-huh. to tell a story. So what type uh-huh. of training do you have to go through? Well, for uh, me, I, I, I came, I, like I, I said, I, I came out of theater. So okay. um, 
I had that theatrical experience and, you know, went to school for theater art. I went into, into the military because my daddy wasn't about to let me go to school for theater. So I had to join the Army. But in the Army, I was uh, in uh, the Signal Corps, communications. And, okay. um, you know, being a, being a slight fella, I ain't but five foot eight, and that's with shoes on. Okay. I, I, I had to develop my, my power was my voice. Remember there was this old TV show. I know you're too young for this, but it was the incredible Mr. Lippet. It was a fish that had this big old roar, this roaring voice, and that was his protection. My voice okay. was my protection. And uh, I, But many people, there, there, there is actually theater school. One sister that I know in Chicago went to school and has her degree from Yale. Um, in theater arts, but she is a phenomenal um, story sister, Emily Lanzana. Uh, but there are many. Charlotte Blake Austin has been one of the uh, nationally recognized storytellers with her skill and gift, um, a family of musicians, and, and her, her uh, joining or, or learning to use the uh, spoken word, the, the story arts. Um, I claim it as a sacred gift. Um, okay. That being introduced to the art form, uh, then you, you there's a passion to tell, to to, to present, um, to share, and you're exactly right. Um, many people, some folk can wake up in the morning, having had a, a good night's sleep, and decide that they're a storyteller, and you know go to the schools and the libraries and and tell the stories that they've learned. Some folk have a gift. Uh, some people have been trained. Um, I want to say that this clan of folk called storytellers come from all walks of life. There, there are okay. authors, writers. There are um, uh, professors and doctors. There's lawyers. Um, there's people that have uh, uh, gone to uh, school and, and training and received master's degree doctors in the art form. Uh, by studying the craft, uh, I just happened to be one that was, I believe, blessed with a gift, uh, born a Gemini, uh, mm-hmm. naturally loquacious, uh, love to speak. I, I love to talk, and uh, right. but I, I try to use that gift in, in as positive ways I can, and the storytelling is, is, has become uh, that vehicle for me. Absolutely. Well, I know how it is because I'm a Gemini as well, and I'm a talk show host, so I know, there you I know go. how it is. See what I'm <laughs> I know how it is. Now, why would I have said that? Because left I know that I was amongst like company. See, iron sharpened iron. I don't care where you go, what you do. You always find like-minded people, good spiritual gift. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, you're going to be in Detroit. There's an event coming up Friday, June 1st, 2018, 7 p.m. at the Northwest Activity Center, Northwest Activity Center, which is located at 18100 Myers in Detroit, 18100 Myers in Detroit, uh, Oberwin King, poetic storyteller. So what are you going to be doing here? It's called a grown folk experience. 
Now, uh, this is an evening of storytelling. When we say grown folk, that does not mean tawdry. It does not mean right. filthy, ugly enough. It's uplifting experience for black people. I'm going to talk about my experience of visiting Africa. I'm going to talk about how I trained and learned from Oscar Brown Jr., who was a storyteller, was a jazz man, was a poet. Um, I'm going to share the stories that I learned while I studied and trained with Oscar Brown Jr. through Chicago, Illinois, the Master Apprentice Grant. I was introduced to Oscar Brown Jr. He took those stories that way back in the day, uh, like the signifying monkey, how that story yeah. was so filthy that grown men would co- cover one ear when they heard it, you know, walking through the yeah. alleyway. But he, he cleaned right. it up so that you can share it in mixed company. And then my focus was to share it with the ones younger than me. So we take the signifying monkey and we put it with blues music. We talk about oh. the blues. Right. Where the blues came from. How it is that we are the blues. How it is that black music, black rhythm, black story, black the way we dance, the way we talk, the way we dress, it influences the world of black people in every corner of the world. London, mm-hmm. France, I don't care where you are. We influence the community that we are within. So we have to begin... I'd love to encourage us to begin to see our collective strength. There is no man as an island. You 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 must uh, unify and find the right. things that we can do together. That's where our power comes from. Absolutely, you can't Absolutely. be all willy nilly. Right. I want to share. Well, this... so... mm-hmm. Go, Go ahead. ahead, brother. Go ahead. Okay. This, well, is, this is organized by the yeah. Just one second. This is organized by the Detroit Association of Black Storytellers. The Detroit Association yes. of Black Storytellers. They probably present Oprah William King, uh, a poetic uh, storyteller, a grown folks storytelling experience. Once again, this is coming up Friday, June first, two thousand eighteen, seven p.m. to nine p.m. at the Northwest Activity Center in Detroit, eighteen one hundred Myers, uh, in Detroit. Uh, tickets are $10 in advance, $15 at the door. Now, the co-sponsor of this event is the Dove Foundation of Michigan for Kappa Rho Zeta Chapter. It should be of Zeta Phi Beta Sigma Incorporated. Yeah, okay, because Mary Grant is a Zeta, and I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Okay. Okay, there we right. go. Yep, okay. Now, um, now, brother, why should people come out uh, Friday, June 1st to, uh, for this event? One one of the things that is important when June begins, that's the celebration of Black Music Month. Also, we get into the celebration of our heritage through Juneteenth. And as we start to find these ways to connect with our cultural selves, these are evenings where, you know, grown folk, you know, on a date, husband, wife, leave the baby at home, grab a sitter, ask the grown child to watch the baby. Come out and commune with one another. Positive arena, an interactive setting. Now, one of the ways that these small organizations can continue to survive is by the support of the community that we serve. So this is that kind of evening where 
our our community, our people, our family can come out and celebrate with DABS, the Detroit Association of Black Storytellers. One member, one connection to NABS, the National Association of Black Storytellers. And there are mm. associations of black storytellers across the country. So we're just trying to be those folk uh, who bring a, a literary arts uh, approach right. to the issues of today. Okay, excellent, excellent. And and what this does is this also preserves our history and culture as well. Um, you know, because this is this is something ancient, the storytelling coming out of coming out of Africa. Uh, so, and you have African folklore that's handed down generation yeah. to generation, and in different African uh, cultural societies, different African uh, tribes, whether it's from the Akan or whether it's from the Jakuta Kikuyu out of Kenya, you you have different folklore stories. That you have different folklore stories that are handed down generation after generation. Go, go ahead, brother. Yes, sir. No, absolutely no. I, I just laugh as you, you call out the tribe. And when we see ourselves, one of the experiences I had going to Africa was when I got there, folks acted as though they'd seen me before. My facial mm. structure, uh, uh, the, the thickness of my lips, the, 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 the width of my nose, the the, the, the oval of my head, they've seen me before. We are right. African people. And, Absolutely. Uh, there, there's many, many, many of us respect that, accept that, and, and know, okay, that's all good. Let's celebrate together. But there are still those of us who see African Africa as a, a distant planet, as a, a place that we're not connected to. We, we right. don't understand that Everyone with this uh, melanin in our skin comes from the motherland. And this mm. is the richest land on the planet with the, the minerals and the earths of this land. Some folks will say, well, Africans don't like us. That ain't right. That's what right. will tell you to separate us. That's called that's that theory of divide and conquer. And we right. constantly right. Uh, falling under the thumb of of someone who's a ruler. You were talking about it earlier, how the singing mm. of this anthem, and America calls it the national anthem. And when they, 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 they called out, they said that, um, the, that, 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 that where there is a band that's so vauntily swore that the havoc of war and the battle's confusion, a home and a country should leave us no more. Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge could save the hiring or the slave from the terror of flight and the gloom of the grave. We are mm-hmm. in a situation right now where the country is controlled by folks who sing that as an anthem to themselves. They don't, right. they don't look at us as a part of uh, the equality and try to, like you said in your opening, pushing back more than a hundred of the positive uh, uh, laws and, uh, that, that President Obama has put in place as though that is their mission. Anything right. Obama did, they want to take away. For exactly. the good of what it was, they want to take away. 
If it has his name on it, they want to take it away, and they don't care what the consequences are. Just take it from him. Exactly. This is coming straight out of white supremacy and racism. Exactly. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, So people can get tickets at uh, Detroit Book City. Detroit Book City, located at 2436 Greenfield Road, Suite 350 in Southfield, Michigan. 2436 Greenfield Road, Suite 350, Southfield, Michigan. Uh, Detroit Book City. Uh, you can also call 248-209-6880, 248-209-6880, okay? Uh, yeah. Tickets are 10,000 in advance, 15 at the door. Uh, now, Brother Oba, how can people get your books, and if they want to bring you in uh, for you to do your storytelling, how can people get in contact with you? Thank you so much. I'm listed on Google, uh, Oba. WilliamKing.com. Uh, books are under my name. The music and the sing-along song, Brother Emotep, if you close out your show playing that one song I sent you, I Love My People, there's an old <laughs> okay. Chicago. His name is uh, O'Coral uh, Harold Johnson. And uh, yes. back in the day when they were running the Defender newspaper, one of the cats heard that song, he said, that's the new anthem. That's what we're going to sing. I love my people. I love my people. My people are strong from the cradle to the grave. They couldn't break us down. Even when they called us slaves, we kept our pride throughout the years, worked hard, we prayed, even shed some tears. No matter what the world has put us through, we come out on top in everything we do. Just say, Mm. I love my people. Four little words. That's going to change us, man. Got to love Absolutely. one another, man. Absolutely. I love my people. That's Definitely. Right. Go, go ahead. You were dropping out for a minute. What did you say? What was the last thing you said? Oh, I'll find something right with each other, with one another. Look for the good Absolutely. in one another. Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that, brother. All right, brother. Well, look, man, it's been great having you on, and I'll I'll be there Friday also. Once again, everybody, this is taking place Friday, June 1st, 2018. This kicks off also Black Music Month, so keep in mind, uh, June is not the only time of the year you can listen to black music, just like February is not the only time of the year you're supposed to study black history or African-American history, okay? But this is taking place Friday, June 1st, 2018, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., at the Northwest Activity Center in Detroit, located at 18100 Myers uh, Road, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, the Detroit Association of Black Storytellers presents Oba William King, a poetic storyteller, a grown folks storytelling experience. experience. $10 in advance, 15 at the door. Once again, you can get tickets at Detroit Book City, Detroit Book City, 2436 Greenfield Road, Suite 350 Southfield, Michigan, or call 248-209-6880, 248-209-6880. All right, brother, well, you have a good night, man. I look forward to uh, seeing you Friday, okay? Brother Michael M. Otev, this is peace and blessings to you. May your voice carry long, carry far. May people hear you and follow your lead. Thanks, my brother. All right, thanks, brother. You too. All right, peace. All right, that's uh, Brother Oba William King uh, talking about um, 
African-American storytelling in the history of that, the tradition handed down generation to generation coming from uh, coming from ancient Africa all throughout the continent. OK, uh, next, we're going to be joined by uh, Mary Grant uh, here for a few minutes. So Mary Grant is involved in organizing uh, this event uh, for the Detroit Association of Black Storytellers. And uh, to give us a little bit more information about this, let's bring her on. All right, Mary, how are you doing tonight? Great, great. Glad to be here. And first be, first of all, let me thank you for uh, allowing us to be on your show because this is oh, storytelling is important and you're allowing us to be on your, your show. Thank you very much. All right, no problem. Uh, okay, so you know, you are a member of the Detroit Association of Black Storytellers, all right? And uh, what caused you all to organize this event and want to bring in Brother Ober William King, who we just had on? Well, we bring in a variety of people often to make sure we uh, have great listeners because there are people okay. all over the United States, but we picked Ober because we thought he was one of the greatest storytellers that we had heard lately. So because this is one of our special events, uh, our fall uh I mean, our uh, summer storytelling uh, event. Okay. All right. But uh, presently, our president is uh, Anthony Ross, and our vice president is Pamela Williams, treasurer Laura Franklin, secretary Cheryl Pryor. And uh, we have our meetings every fourth um, Saturday at Charles Wright Museum, where we discuss Mm -hmm. and have uh, workshops where we discuss how you tell a story and the kinds of things you can do. You talked about earlier what kind of training or what yes. do you have to have. Well, we have, uh, when we have our meetings, we express ourselves with stories. We share our stories. We talk about personal stories. We we share folk tales. We, we share, uh, we do uh, narratives, and we do like people like Frederick Douglass, and, and I do Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman, and we have all, you know, we have all those kinds of things that are meetings where we inspire and, and motivate people to go out and tell the story of black people and how we got over and what, what our present state of mind is as it relates to uh, what's important within our lives. Absolutely. All right. Great. Um, okay. So how how often do you all have events? I know you have events routinely at the Charlie's Wright Museum. You do them every month, every quarter. Often do you have events? Well, we have a fall event coming in uh, October, in October, October the 5th. That's going to be in Northwest Activity Center at 7 o'clock. And then we have a youth concert in October where we have the children come in, and the children share stories along with some adults. And we have community uh, tellers, too, who come in and they share some stories we have storytelling all year long, different kinds of venues at different venues and, and different events. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Now, um, once again, how can people um, get tickets for the event coming up at, at the Northwest Activity Center? Well, they could call uh, 313-442-3227. That's our um Detroit Association of Black Storytellers phone number, or they can go to Detroit Book City. You can just look that up on the Internet, and uh, that's on Greenfield. Um, Right. And you can go there and buy tickets also. 
Right, yeah, yeah Detroit six, Book City. That's two four three six Greenfield Road, Suite three fifty, Southfield, Michigan. Two four three six Greenfield Road. Okay, and their phone number is two four eight two zero nine six eight eight zero. Give me that three one three number again. The um, that's Detroit Association of Black Storytellers number three one three four four two three two two seven. Okay. Three one three four four two three two two seven. You can call that number for tickets. Also, ten dollars in advance, fifteen dollars at the door. All right. Um, okay. And why should people come out this Friday? We know it's Friday. We know it's the first uh, day of June. People are going to have things going on. Maybe some nice weather Friday. Why should people come to the uh, to Northwest Activity Center for this event Friday? Well, because you'll be involved in telling, listening to a teller of stories that are our heritage, and and because he has the enthusiasm of, that he has, it will be an it will be a gracious evening of in, entertainment for the listeners who have come. Because when he okay. uses stories, he uses gestures, he plays drum, he engages his listeners to come on and listen to this story because, you know, it's just a, a wonderful experience. Just as going to see a singer on a stage, and then you will, okay. because he has you engaged in his stories, you'll be engaged just like you'll sing along and he has a song that he had written that he shared with you. Uh, right. It, it's entertainment. Right. All right. All right, Mary. Well, I will see you all Friday, and uh, thanks for organizing hey, this certainly event. You'll have a ticket. Waiting for you at okay. the door. And okay. And they mentioned Michael Imhotep at the door. The first ten people who mention Michael uh-huh. Imhotep at the door will get a free ticket also. Okay, so the first ten people who mention Michael Imhotep at the door get a free ticket. Go ahead, say that again. Yeah. But they have to say Michael Imhotep. They have to say your whole name. They can't say Mike. <laughs> <laughs> the first ten people, including you. <laughs> okay. Okay, first ten people. Uh, 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 when you get there, mention my name, Michael M. Hotel. Mention that you heard about this here on the African History Network show. Mention my name, Michael M. Hotel. Okay. You'll get a first 10 people. All right. First. Okay, man. All right. You have a great night, okay? Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Asante Sana. All right. Asante Sana. All right. That means thank you. Okay. All right. So, um, those just tuning in, hey, you listen to the African History Network show uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Normally, uh, and we're on Facebook Live, and we're on Crowdcast. Normally, uh, I'm on uh, 9, 10 a.m. on the Superstation, Sunday nights, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But because this is Memorial Day weekend, the station is closed. So I said, you know, I'm still going to broadcast here. Uh, I want to let you know that uh, we're going to go back to the topic of the NFL. Now, if you have a question or comment, you can give us a call, 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment, okay? And uh, press the number one key to put you in queue uh, if you have a question or comment. But you can also listen by phone at that number, two nine one four. 338-1375, okay? We're going to go back to the topic dealing with uh, the NFL's new policy uh, when it comes to national anthem protests, okay? Uh, we're going to go back to that in just a minute here. I want to let you know those in the um, Atlanta area, number one, I will be June 15th through the 17th, I will be 
at the huge um, uh, Juneteenth celebration that takes place in Atlanta at Morris Brown College, okay, in the Morris Brown College area, okay? I'll be there this uh, Friday, June 15th through uh, Sunday, June um, 17th, okay? And I'm going to bring that information up here. Uh, and I'll be speaking there on uh, that Saturday. I don't know the time yet, but I'll be speaking there at the main stage that Saturday, and I'll have a vendor table there, vendor booth. So I have my DVDs there, but also uh, I'll be speaking over in the historian's tent as well, okay? So you're going to hear more about that. We'll get the flyer up at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's at Morris Brown College, Juneteenth, Atlanta, uh, Black History Parade, um, uh, well, the, the three-day event is June 15th through the 17th. On Saturday, June 16th, um, there's a Black History Parade, and uh, they have an, uh, that starts at 12 noon, it looks like, okay? This is a free event. Come on out. It's, fan, it's going to be fantastic, all right? Uh, secondly, uh, Tuesday, May 29th at the, in, the, in Detroit, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, Tuesday, May 29th. Uh, there's an event that I will be speaking at. Uh, Phase Forward presents P H A S E the number four W A R D. Phase Forward presents Out of Darkness Nile Valley Civilization. Out of Darkness Nile Valley Civilization, and an analysis of uh, the film Black Panther by myself, Michael M. Hotep. So they're going to show a segment of the film Out of Darkness. There's going to be a lot of uh, 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 school children there from 6th grade to 12th grade. Uh, there'll be adults there as well. It's open to the public. This is taking place Tuesday, May 29th, um, 2018, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, uh, 315 East Warren Avenue, Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And I'll be speaking uh, for about a half hour. I'm going to uh, uh, do an analysis, deal with the film Black Panther, deal with the African cultural influence of the film. Uh, we'll talk some about Mansa Musa, the richest man in history. Uh, just happened to be a person of African, just happened to be an African man. Uh, we'll do with some other things as well. We'll talk some about how teachers are using the film Black Panther to teach African history and the history of colonialism as well. So come on now. It's a free event. Bring the, bring the youth. Uh, it's in the General Motors Theater. Uh, at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, Tuesday, May 29th, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. We'll get this up at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have it here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, okay? And it's on my personal page, Michael M. Hotel. All right, everybody watching on Facebook, please share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also, Okay. All right, so uh, let's go back to this topic here dealing with the NFL. I was talking, I did a Facebook Live broadcast on Wednesday, so people check that out. Um, and it's on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube, I, I M H O T E P. And it's here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. Click on videos, uh, our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. So we see uh, Wednesday, May 23rd, a change in the uh, policy. Uh, regarding the protests surrounding the national anthem that uh, has caused uh, outrage uh, in some segments of America, criticism from Donald Trump, a stunt pulled at an Indianapolis Colts game uh, last year by Vice President Mike Pence, 
but in an attempt to quell a controversy that engulfed the country's most popular sports uh, last fall, the NFL altered its policy regarding the national anthem, no longer requiring players to be on the field during its playing before games, but allowing teams and the league to impose discipline for those who protest publicly during the song, okay? So there was an article also from uh, rawstory.com which dealt with how fans were outraged at this uh, policy change. And some people are saying, you know, some people are calling this saying this is similar to slavery. They're trying to dictate to the players. I mean, it's not like the players are being loud and vocal during the national anthem. Okay, some are, ta- are choosing to kneel. Now, taking a knee is a sign of respect in the military. Okay, that's what now, if Donald Trump had actually served in the military as opposed to getting five deferments, he would know this. Okay, um, let's see. Sheldon said, Did you go to the Lord Jamar Pot Guy Cat? Yeah, yeah, we did that. Uh, myself and Herb Alchemist, Lord Jamar, and Rod, Rod Digger. It does not air until Wednesday. Okay, that's going to air this Wednesday, May 30th. When it airs, I'll post it. Okay, but yeah, we did that interview. It was really, really good too. All right, so um, RawStory.com has an article. I'm done with the NFL. Fans revolt over sideline protests. Over sideline protests banned to quote unquote appease racists and the bully president. And this is what a lot of people are saying. A lot of people are saying, look. Uh, you have uh, the NFL, uh, the viewership is down, they're losing money. There's some different reasons why the viewership is down. But they're losing money, these protests are continuing, uh, and they're saying this is an attempt to appease racists, appease white supremacists, and to appease Donald Trump, who was a bully, and a white supremacist also. All right. Now, the NFL caved to pressure from Donald Trump and ban sideline protests by players against police brutality and and uh, 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 I'm sorry and ban sideline protests by players against police brutality and social media users were outraged. League officials adopted a new policy Wednesday requiring all league and team personnel on the field to remain standing during the playing of the national anthem although they are no longer required to remain on the field at that time. Now, um, the new policy also outlines fines and other disciplinary action against teams whose uh, personnel fail to comply and lets lets, uh, the team set their own rules regarding players who refuse to stand. Trump personally attacked former San Francisco 49ers uh, quarterback uh, Colin Kaepernick last year during a political rally, and that was in, he was in Alabama at the time, uh, and I think that was September, uh, and he kept up his rant against protesting players on Twitter where other users reacted to the NFL policy, okay? So, uh, and this is Trump trying to galvanize his base, throwing red meat uh, to his base, and as I said before, they don't want to deal with the issues of police brutality. They don't want to deal with the issues of white supremacy and racism, the oppression of people of color. They don't want to deal with the reasons why the protests are taking place. They just want them to stop. Now, it was very interesting. So last year I saw um, an uh, interview on MSNBC, and I forgot, is a former NFL player 
And he said, you know, he was at a sports bar when the NFL game came on, and he started playing the national anthem, okay? And he said, hey, guys, you're not going to stand for the national anthem? He said this to the people in the sports bar because the people in the sports bar were not standing for the national anthem, but they want the players to stand for the national anthem, okay? And, and, and the people who criticize this and talk about the protests, right, when they are at home watching the football game and the national anthem comes on, how many of them stand in their living room for the national anthem? How many of them stand at home for the national anthem? So what this is really about is about white supremacy and racism. And you have white owners trying to impose their will on a largely, on a, a predominantly African-American uh, uh, player workforce, okay? And then you have the, the fans, most of them white, who are trying to impose their will on these African-American players as well, okay? So check out this article from... Uh, rawstory.com uh, also. I'm done with the NFL fans revolt over sideline protests banned to appease um, racists and the bully president. Okay? And some of the um, comments Trayvon on Twitter said the NFL is 80% black. Imagine if they all set out a Sunday or two. Ken Tremendous on Twitter said the 32 NFL owners and the members of the league office are preposterous, uh, preposterous turds, quote unquote. That's what he said. I hope this league collapses in on itself uh, like a dying star. Okay, Karen Atia on Twitter said, "I'm done with the NFL." And this is what a lot of people are saying. They're saying, "Okay, the NFL is drawing a line in the sand, and we're not watching any more games." But you're going to have some people who are going to continue. I don't know why. I told you last year that we need to stop watching uh, NFL games and protests. But some of, but you know, half the people who just three weeks ago, when uh, uh, Kanye West uh, alluded to uh, a preposterous notion, alluded to a falsehood that slavery was a choice, he has a very poor understanding of history. Go back and watch my videos dealing with this. I also interview Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, uh, one of my teachers dealing with this as well. Um, half the people who said what they would have done during slavery and they would have been with Harriet Tubman, they would have been with uh, Nat Turner, half of these people won't even uh, boycott the NFL for Colin Kaepernick, but they want to talk about what they would have done during slavery. All right. Okay, so uh, let's go back to this article from um, WashingtonPost.com. NFL owners approve new national anthem policy. With hope of ending protests, NFL owners approve new national anthem policy with hope of ending protests. Okay, um, so we're going to go back uh, to this. Okay, so uh, any team or owners that wants to allow players to protest would have to be willing to pay a fine by the league. The NFL did not disclose the amount of such fine. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks were among the teams that have been particularly tolerant of uh, players. And we know that with the San Francisco 49ers that the protest started with Colin Kaepernick um, in August of 2016. Now, hours after the new policy was announced, Vice President uh, Mike Pence tweeted, hashtag winning, hashtag winning, with an image of an American flag and a screenshot of a CNN story about the new policy which described the NFL's decision as, quote, a stunning victory for uh, President Trump, end quote. 
Now, Pence's tweet was retweeted by the White House, uh, by the White House's official uh, at POTUS account. Now, the NFL Players Association announced that it would study the new policy and challenge any aspects of it that the union found to be in violation of the, of the sports collective bargaining agreement because the NFL Players Association was not consulted in this change, which is a change to the labor conditions. The NFL Players Association in a statement said the NFL chose to not consult the union in the development of this new policy. NFL players have shown their patriotism through their social activism, their community service uh, in support of our military and law enforcement, and yes, through their protests to raise awareness about the issues they care about. Okay, Now, the vote by NFL club CEOs today contradicts the statements made to our uh, player leadership by Commissioner Roger Goodell and the chairman of the NFL's management council, John Mara, uh, about the principles, values, and patriotism of our league, okay? Now, I want to go to this article from uh, 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 New York Daily News here in just a minute. Also, Jed York, the chief executive officer of the San Francisco 49ers, told reporters that his team abstained from the vote, okay? Now, Roger Goodell initially said that all 32 clubs want to ensure that uh, during the moments that the anthem is played, that is a very important moment to all of us as a league, to our personnel and our country. And that's a moment that we want to make sure is done in a very respectful fashion. Okay. Initially, he said that the vote was unanimous, but we found out later that there were two teams that abstained, uh, abstained from the vote. Okay. But also, New York Daily News uh, reported uh, on Thursday, okay, uh, Thursday, May 25th. Um, what came out, we found out Thursday, May 25th, but, uh, Thursday, May 24th, for this article on Friday, May 25th, uh, about this, uh, also, um, and let's turn this down here. NFL admits there was no official vote on national anthem policy, instead informal show of hand. NFL admits there was no official vote on national policy on national anthem policy instead informal show of hands, okay? So as if the NFL's national anthem policy was not already controversial enough, the league confirmed late on Thursday, uh, Thursday was May 24th, late on Thursday, that there was technically no official vote on the matter. Instead, team owners were asked for a show of hands of who supported the new policy and an, an informal process often used, league spokesman Brian McCarthy told ESPN, okay? He said uh, that was considered a vote, okay, adding that there were, there were no nays among the owners. However, San Francisco 49ers owner Jed York and Raiders owner uh, Mark Davis both abstained from the unofficial vote, which contradicts NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell's assertion that the vote was unanimous, okay? Now, uh, okay. All right, so we had that news that broke also, which kind of changes uh, some of the dynamics here. And 
you start wondering, well, why did they say that this policy change is coming when there was no official vote? Now, per ESPN, the unofficial nature of the vote surprised some in the room because it was such a major resolution. The new policy uh, requires players to, quote, stand and show respect for the anthem, but gives them the option to remain in the locker room during the playing of the anthem uh, should they feel the need to protest. Any player who kneels or protests during the anthem would face punishment subject to that player's team. Okay, subject to that player's team. All right. And we know uh, the NFL Players Association was not consulted, as we stated. Now, what a lot of people don't know, and I've dealt with this before, I dealt with this in, in my presentations, and you can get, um, you can order the uh, lecture that I did, uh, The Racist History of the White National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance, The Racist History of the White National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. That's available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and I tie all that history into Colin Kaepernick's protests. A lot of people don't know that the uh, Department of Defense, from uh, fiscal year 2011 up until about 2015, uh, paid sports teams $54 million to have patriotic displays. Paid sports teams $54 million to have patriotic displays. So the Washington Post had a big uh, report about this back in 2015, November 4th, 2015, an article by Cindy Boren entitled Report. At least 50 teams were paid by the Department of Defense for patriotic displays. So this deals with um, a report that came out from Senators Jeff Flake and Senators John McCain, both of Arizona. And it talks about this 145-page study that they released that dealt with ending paid patriotism, ending paid patriotism, okay? And in the article, it says a government oversight report released Wednesday by Senators John McCain and Senator Jeff Flake, uh, Senator John McCain and Jeff Flake, offers new details about how the Department of Defense paid professional sports teams and leagues for patriotic displays honoring American soldiers, okay? The report expands on one uh, that became public last May and resulted in changes to the National Defense Authorization Act prohibiting the expenditures and calling on leagues and teams to donate the money to organizations that support the military, veterans, and their families, okay? So what we found out in this report is that... Um, the Department of Defense paid $54 million to sports teams, uh, to NFL teams, Major League Baseball, National Basketball Association, National Hockey League, and Major League Soccer, as well as NASCAR, to have various patriotic displays, okay? The 145-page report cites contributions to 18 NFL teams, 10 Major League Baseball teams, 8 NBA teams, 6 National Hockey League teams, 8 soccer teams, as well as NASCAR, Iron Dog, and Indiana Purdue University. The Atlanta Falcons, for instance, were the top recipients, getting $879,000 over four years. Over the same four-year period, the New, York, the New, England, New England Patriots received $700,000, and the Buffalo Bills received $650,000. Now, the report includes a memo from the NFL to its teams giving guidance, guidance on, quote-unquote, paid 
patriotism issues, paid patriotism issues. Commissioner Roger Goodell followed with a letter to the committee dated November 2nd, writing that the league will conduct an audit of all its contracts with military branches and National Guard units. He said, quote, if we find that inappropriate payments were made, they will be refunded in full. Now, the Atlanta Braves baseball team, Major League Baseball, received $450,000 over three years. The Atlanta Hawks NBA team received $230,000 over two years. The Minnesota Wild, which is a National Hockey League team, received $570,000 over three years. Locally, the only team named in the report was D.C. United, which received $25,000 in the fiscal year 2014 for, quote, taxpayer paid patriotism and perks, taxpayer-funded paid patriotism and perks, end quote. The perks included 10 tickets to one game for D.C. Army National Guard members. So what they're doing is they're being paid to have these patriotic displays. They're paying for patriotism. So then people see this and they think, oh, okay, well, the Atlanta Falcons, the, the New England Patriots, okay, they're very patriotic, and this causes allegiance to the country, but these teams are being paid for this, okay? This is like paid advertising. This is paid patriotism. So this, this um, uh, report that came from Senator John McCain and Senator Jeff Flake exposed all of this and caused that whole program to be shut down, okay? So uh, check out this in AtlantaBlackStar.com. had an article about this as well. At least 50 teams were paid by the Department of Defense for patriotic displays, okay? And we know that prior to 2009, NFL teams were not required to be on the field during the playing of the National Anthem. But that, that changed in 2009. Check out the article from Snopes.com about that, okay? Uh, Snopes.com uh, has an article which breaks that down and deals with that timeline, Okay entitled why are nfl players um let's see what's the name of this why why are nfl players on the sidelines for the national anthem why are nfl players on the sidelines for the national anthem nfl players were not required to be on the sidelines during the playing of the u.s national anthem prior uh new nfl players were not required to be on the sidelines during the playing of the U.S. National Anthem for primetime games prior to 2009. For primetime games prior to 2009, they were not required to do this, okay? But the NFL thought this, this would be a good show of patriotism, things like this, so they did this. ESPN commentator Stephen A. Smith uh, stated uh, during a segment on September 14, 2016, uh, and he added the paid patriotism element. Okay, but he said that the players were moved to the field during the national anthem because it was seen as a marketing strategy to make the athletes look more patriotic. Okay, the United States Department of Defense paid the National Football League $5.4 million between 2011 and 2014, and the National Guard paid $6.7 million between 2013 and 2015 to stage on field patriotic ceremonies as part of military recruitment budget line items, okay? So check this out. And then if you get my presentation, uh, I go deep into this. I deal with all this and more in my presentation dealing with the history 
of the National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance, available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. The Racist History of the White National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, I did this September 26, 2017. The Racist History of the White National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. And that's how all that history in the Colin Kaepernick's protests also. Okay. All right. That's available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. And we also have that uh, in the bundle pack as well. Okay. Now, if you like this type of information, be sure to register for the online courses that I teach. Uh, we have a bundle pack on sale, $60, regularly $130. It includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in the school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in the school. That is a 14-hour, seven-session online course. And I deal with thousands of years of history. Uh, we deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors also. So we deal with a lot of information uh, in that online course. They're all, it's all on demand. Uh, there are 10 courses in the bundle pack, including Great African Women in History, The Mothers of Civilization, and uh, African-American Resistance in the Era of Donald Trump, uh, Voter Suppression, Reparations, and High Elections Have Consequences. And uh, there's some other ones there. Uh, as well, okay. Uh, this, uh, so this, we posted the uh, information here on the thread of the broadcast, and you can also go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com is right on the homepage, okay. All right. So we know that um, Monday. Oh, you know what? It, 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 uh, also, you have some civil rights organizations that protested uh, outside of uh, NFL headquarters. Um, a couple of days ago as well. Uh, NBCnews.com uh, has a good article uh, about that. Uh, civil rights groups protests at NFL headquarters for players' right to kneel, okay? Uh, as NFL teams confront a new policy that aims to quell player protests during the national anthem, civil rights groups and community leaders rallied on Friday, May 25th, Friday morning, with a unified message of their own. Athletes have a right to kneel. Athletes have a right to kneel. Now, protesters held signs and spoke in front of the NFL's New York headquarters demanding the league reverse its dangerous decision for, uh, for next season, requiring any player who ventures onto the field during the Star-Spangled Banner to stand. Players, however, can choose to stay in the locker room during the anthem without penalty. Now, Tamika Mallory, who we've talked about here on this show uh, before, who uh, is one, one of the organizers of the Women's March, and she's a, a, a African American activist uh, who uh, uh, she joined members of the National Action Network, the NAACP, and other civil rights groups. She said, "Quote: I'm not here to talk to the NFL. They have already drawn the line in the sand, and they have doubled down on us." Tamika Mallory said. Uh, now, Tamika Mallory also. Uh, painted the team's owners in a harsh light comparing the league to a plantation system. She said they own these young men in their minds. The slave owners have said that if the slaves get out of line, we will show them. The question is, uh, what will the rest of us uh, do about them putting the slaves in line? 
Now, the controversy over uh, nearly first made headlines in 2016, as we talked about then with Colin Kaepernick. Now, Donald Trump stoked the situation last fall by criticizing players who refused to stand, saying it disrespected the U.S. military and, uh, and, and telling a crowd in Alabama, quote, wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that SOB off the field right now? He said, son of a bitch, actually. Uh, out, uh, out, he's fired, okay? And in an interview that aired Thursday on Fox News, Trump suggested that players who do not stand for the national anthem uh, uh, do, uh, maybe shouldn't be playing at all. He said, quote, maybe you shouldn't be in the country, Okay. Uh, as part of the new policy, if a player decides to disrespect the anthem or the flag, their team will be fined, said uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Now, what's interesting is that, um, okay, so the article goes on to say the team, uh, the NFL is about 70% black. Other team owners have put out statements supporting the policy while also acknowledging uh, why players in the league, which is about 70% uh, black, feel compelled to protest, Okay. Um, uh, now, what's interesting is that um, if you know anything about the um, U.S. flag code, the U.S. flag code. See, I find it interesting when you have white people talk about disrespecting the national anthem, disrespecting the flag. White people disrespect the flag on a daily basis. See, if you know anything about the U.S. flag code, which was introduced on Flag Day, June 14, 1923, the U.S. flag code is a federal code, okay, and this was put in place to serve as a guideline on how to handle the American flag. If you understand the U.S. flag code, then you understand that the U.S. flag is, is a violation of the U.S. flag code to use the U.S. flag as part of as part of clothing. It's not supposed to be made in the hat. It's not supposed to be made in the shirt. It's not supposed to be made into bikinis. You're not supposed to wrap yourself around in the flag, okay? The flag should never be used as wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. It should never be festooned, drawn back, nor up, in fold, but always allowed to fall free. This is from the U.S. flag code. See, white people disrespect the U.S. flag on a daily basis. They want to complain about NFL players taking a knee, protesting white supremacy and racism, quietly protesting while they violate the flag on a daily basis. Okay? That they accuse players of disrespecting. So back uh, when I was going to the all-black national convention, So I flew to the convention, Louisville, Kentucky, organized by the voice box, coming up in September this year. So I'll be there once again. So I had to take a connector flight there, right? So I was on two flights there, right? On both of the flights, I flew Southwest Airlines. On both of the flights, the, the, there were white pilots, okay? They wore American flag neckties. They wore American flag neckties. On both of the flights headed to Louisville, Kentucky, the the, uh, the U.S. flag is never supposed to be used as clothing. It's not supposed to be made into clothing. A U.S. flag is a direct 
direct violation of the U.S. flag code introduced June 14, 1983. White people violate the flag on a daily basis and think nothing of it. Okay, that means every American flag swimsuit, button up shirt, and even those famous old Navy flag shirts. The flag should not be carried flat. The flag should not be carried flat. Okay? The flag should never be carried flat or horizontally, but always aloft and free. This is about, so when you see them on the, on the football field with the flag laid out, that's a violation of the flag code. Most people know the flag should never touch the ground, but few know that it has to be displayed vertically. Maybe it's a nod to the lyric that had the flag galaxy streaming. That's from Defense of Fort McHenry, September 13, 1848. Francis Scott Key, who was a white slave, who thought that African people were mentally inferior, and he used his position as U.S. District Attorney to uh, Washington, D.C. He used his position to fight against abolitionists. He, he, he used his position as U.S. District Attorney to fight against abolitionists who were trying to free enslaved Africans. This is who wrote the national anthem. Whatever the case, an unfurled flag is sits flat is a disrespect to the flag code, okay? The flag is not supposed to be used on dis- for disposable products, okay? Like American flag paper plates, American flag paper napkins, American flag paper, clut- paper cups is never supposed to be used for disposable products. That's a direct violation of the U.S. flag code, right? disrespect the flag on a daily basis. It should not be embroidered on such articles as cushions or handkerchiefs and the like printed and the like. Printed or otherwise impressed on paper napkins, boxes, or anything that is designed for temporary use and discard. Okay? The U.S. flag is not supposed to be used for advertisement. The U.S. flag is in advertisements or a flag day sale is not supposed to be used in advertisements or Fourth of July sales. That is a direct violation of the U.S. flag code. You white people violate the U.S. flag that they say they love on a daily basis while attacking and criticizing football players who take the knee because they want the flag to represent what's supposed to represent all those. They want to have America live up to its promise, to have an aspiration of a better America, but the same people who violate the U.S. flag on a daily basis want to attack these players for calling out white supremacy, racism, police brutality, and the oppression of African Americans and people of color. The flag should never be used for advertising purposes in any manner whatsoever. If a business or company is using the flag in its advertisement, that's yet another disrespectful gesture. A flag printed on a disposable flyer is probably a double offense. 
Okay, check out this article from HuffingtonPost.com. Here are some ways people disrespect the flag daily based on the fact that most of these people who are attacking NFL players don't know there's a U.S. flag code. Why? Half of them can't read. Half of them can't, half of them are illiterate. Most of them don't know there's a U.S. flag code. They have a poor understanding of history. Some of those same people on their belt buckles and on their pickup trucks, they have what they think is the Confederate flag. That's not even the Confederate flag. That's the Confederate battle flag in Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee's army. That flag never flew over the Confederate States of America, but they don't understand history. This is why they're out trying to save a statue of General Robert E. Lee. And if you knew anything about General Robert E. Lee, you know General Robert E. Lee was against Confederate monuments. He was against Confederate statues. He was against using the Confederate battle flag and any of the three Confederate flags that flew over the Confederate States of America. He was against using those after the Civil War ended. They have a very poor understanding of history. And when they speak, their actions reflect this. And they're following an idiot at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue who knows even less about history than they do. All right, so Memorial Day is coming up. Now, once again, if you like this type of information, be sure to register for the online course. The, the online courses I teach, we have a bundle pack. We have 10 in the bundle pack. They're on sale $60 right now, regularly $130. Not going to be $60 much longer, uh, I'll tell you that. But uh, it includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach in school. Um, it includes African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and high elections as consequences. Um, and great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. There's 10 courses in the bundle pack. Uh, they're all on demand. Watch from around the world. Watch at your own pace. Smartphone, tablet, computer. Okay. They're all on demand. We posted the link here on the thread of the broadcast. You can also go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And if you like this type of information that we share, you can also donate to the African History Network. This helps us to keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep doing the broadcast. Pay the bills because all this stuff we gotta. I gotta pay Blog Talk. I had to pay Blog Talk their money. I had to pay Crowdcast their money. I gotta pay Constant Contact their money. So <laughs> I just paid Comcast their money. Uh, what day was that? Uh, Friday. Friday. Saturday. One of those days. I've been. I've gotten a lot of sleep. One of those days. Uh, you can donate to the African History Network. Um, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me, M-E, forward slash the AHN show, okay? And uh, you can donate there. You can donate $5, 10 15 25 $100, whatever. Uh, we appreciate that. And you can also set up for a recurring donation if you want to as well, okay? All right. Uh, Monday is Memorial Day, right? And you're going to have people who have cookouts because we don't do picnics. You're going to have people who have cookouts. Uh, a lot of people are off work. Post office is closed on Memorial Day. A lot of, I think a lot of banks are closed as well. But a lot of people don't know that Memorial Day has African-American roots. Okay? And the first Memorial Day started out as Decoration Day, but uh, it was first celebrated by African-Americans uh, following the Civil War. Okay? So, if we look at some history of this, uh, Memorial Day is the last Monday in May. 
And Memorial Day is when we honor uh, our fallen soldiers who have served in the military, okay? It also marks the unofficial start of summer and is celebrated by cookouts, a three-day weekend, etc., right? But many people don't know that Memorial Day has its origins with African Americans at the end of the Civil War, all right? Now, David Blight is a historian at Yale University, and I first found out about this, I guess it was about four or five years ago. Uh, the Root.com has a good article about this uh, back when the Root, like, was you know much better than the than it is now, um, but there was an article. Uh, so we'll pull that up also here. Um, but David Blight is a is a historian at Yale University. He teaches American history, and he is the director of the Gilder uh, Lerman Center, Gilder Lerman Center, L E H M R A N Center for the Study of Slavery, Resistance, and Abolition. The Gilder Lerman Center for the Study of Slavery, Resistance, and Abolition. He's the author of uh, the Bancroft Prize-winning uh, book, Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory. Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory. And also, uh, A Slave No More, Two Men Who Escaped to Freedom, Including Their Narratives of Emancipation. So, if we look at a quick uh, recap of the Civil War, right, um, so we see that rather than accepting Lincoln's leadership, okay, so Abraham Lincoln becomes president-elect November 6, 1860, part of the Republican Party. The, uh, he was the candidate of the Republican Party. The Republican Party was formed in 1854 by groups of abolitionists who were trying to end slavery. They were counter to the Democratic Party, okay? Democratic Party was largely the party of the plantation owners, those who supported slavery, things like this, okay? And the first state to secede from the Union was South Carolina, December 20th, 1860, about six weeks after Abraham Lincoln becomes president-elect, okay? He doesn't take, he doesn't, uh, now, um, at his inaugural address, March 4th, 1861, he stated that he had no intention of freeing slaves in territories that slavery existed, okay? So by February... By February of um, 1861, uh, South Carolina, yes, seven states that had already succeeded from the Union. South Carolina, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. Okay, they all elected to secede, secede from the Union, secede from the Union, and they formed the Confederate States of America, the CSA. Okay, they formed this in February 1861. Okay, his inaugural address was March fourth, eighteen sixty-one, and to try to to try to uh, absolve other Southern states of any worries and keep them from seceding from the Union as well. This is why his inaugural address, he said, he had no intention of uh, freeing enslaved Africans in the states that um, slavery was legal. Okay, now the Confederacy elected Mexican War. Um, hero and former Secretary of War Jefferson Davis as the President of the Confederacy and they began organizing an independent government modeled on the U.S. Constitution with caveats guaranteeing slavery, okay, because these states succeeded, these 11 states succeeded from the Union to keep slavery intact and in their statements of secession they talk about how slavery was essential to their way of life 
Slavery was essential to the maintaining of wealth, etc. Now, April 12, 1861, April 12, 1861, the Confederacy began fighting to assert its independence when Confederate troops fired on Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay, Charleston, South Carolina Harbor, and this was uh, uh, a federal, um, um, a federal fort. Okay, Fort Sumter. Okay. Now, soon after this, the states of Arkansas, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia are going to join the Confederacy as well. All right. So you're going to have have approximately 620,000 soldiers who are killed. Approximately 600. And 20,000 soldiers who were killed in the um, U.S. Civil War. About 2.4 million people are going to serve in the U.S. Civil War. Okay? We know Harriet Tubman was one of them. You have somewhere between 186,000 and 200,000 African Americans who served in the Civil War as well. Okay? Now, in something of an anti climax, General Joseph E. Johnston, General Joseph E. Johnston, handed over the last Confederate army to General uh, Sherman near Durham, North Carolina, on April 26. So the U.S. Civil War officially ends January 2nd, 1865, and we know, uh, oh, sorry, June 2nd, 1865. June 2nd, 1865, it officially ends, and we know. Um, April 14th, 1865, we know um, um, Abraham Lincoln is shot at the Ford Theater by John Wilkes Booth. He's going to die the next morning at 7.22 a.m., okay? He dies the next morning. Um, So, and then we, you have the uh, ratification of the 13th Amendment. Uh, December 6, 1865 also, right? So we have uh, Lincoln assassinated in April of 1865. We know June 19th is when General Gordon Granger delivers General Order Number 3 to the enslaved Africans in Galveston, Texas. And these were the last people, these were the last enslaved Africans who got the word basically in general that slavery ended, the Civil War was over with. This is why Juneteenth is celebrated on June 19th. Now, on May 1st, 1865, okay, excuse me, on May 1st, 1865, freed slaves gathered in Charleston, South Carolina to commemorate the death of Union soldiers and the end of the American Civil War, because it's winding down, coming to an end there. Uh, April 26, you had General Joseph E. Johnston, who surrendered to General Sherman, okay, but it's officially going to end June 2nd, but it was winding down. It's pretty much over by May 1st, but it officially ends June 2nd. So on May 1st, 1865, you had freed slaves who gathered in Charleston, South Carolina, to commemorate the death of Union soldiers and the end of the American Civil War, because the Union soldiers were coming there fighting defeating the Confederacy, and as they would go through different towns and gain control of these territories, they would free the enslaved Africans, okay? Now, three years later, 
1868, General John Logan issued a special order that May 30th, 1868, be observed as Decoration Day. May 30th, 1868, be observed as Decoration Day. The first Memorial Day, okay, a day set aside, quote, for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the later during the late rebellion and whose body whose bodies now lie <clears throat> whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. But African Americans did this going back to May first, eighteen sixty five, three years prior. Now you're gonna have thousands of African American Charlestonians Okay, okay, uh, those that lived in Charleston, South Carolina, most mostly former slaves who remained in the city and conducted a series of commemorations to declare their sense of the meaning of the Civil War. Now, the largest, uh, largest of these events, and unknown until some extraordinary luck that David Blight had in his re- in, in research that he did, took place on May 1st, 1865. During the final year of the Civil War, the Confederates had converted the planter's horse track, the planter's horse track, which was the Washington race course and jockey club. The Confederacy converted this into an outdoor prison for Union soldiers, the Washington race course and jockey club. So we know um, we know May 17th was the anniversary of the running of the first Kentucky Derby, which took place May 17th, 1875. Some of you all saw the Facebook Live broadcast I've done about that. It's also on our YouTube channel. 13 of the 15 jockeys in the first Kentucky Derby were black. 13 of the 15 jockeys who ran in the first, who raced in the first Kentucky Derby were African American. The first Kentucky Derby was won May 17, 1865, by a 19 year old African American man named Oliver Lewis. Oliver Lewis. And we dominated horse racing, but horse racing goes back to uh, slavery because a lot of African, a lot of the jockeys were African Americans during slavery, uh, and they were lightweight slave boys, young, uh, early twenties, things like this. Okay. So then, after slavery ends, you know we're still racing, we're still involved in horse racing, so we dominate. And then we're going to be pushed out because of Jim Crow laws, because of unionization, white supremacy. We're going to be pushed out of horse racing. Okay, so check out the broadcast that I did dealing with that. Now, during the final year of the uh, of the uh, of the of the Civil War, the Confederates had converted the Planter's Horse Track, the Washington. Uh, let me see something here. How much time we have left? Crowdcast. Okay, so they converted the. Um, the racetrack into an outside uh, outdoor prison, okay, for Union soldiers. Now, Union soldiers, Union soldiers were kept in horrible conditions in the interior of the tract 
At least 257 died of exposure and disease and were hastily buried in a mass grave behind the grandstand. Some 28 African-American workmen went to the site, reburied the Union dead properly, and built a high fence around the cemetery. They, uh, they, they uh, buried the dead properly and built a high fence around the cemetery. They whitewashed the fence and built, in, uh, built an archway over an entrance on which they inscribed the words, Martyrs of the Race Course. Martyrs of the Race Course. So you have to understand, for enslaved Africans, Union soldiers coming into a town, coming into Charleston, South Carolina, fighting against the Confederacy, fighting against the Confederate troops who were fighting to keep slavery intact, fighting to, fighting to keep them enslaved, they're looking at the Union soldiers as heroes. Okay? So they're doing this to honor these Union soldiers. So then black Charlestonians, in cooperation with white missionaries and teachers, staged an unforgettable parade of 10,000 people on the slaveholders' race course. They had a parade of 10,000 people on the Washington race course and jockey club, okay? And this was a, a symbol of denouncing white supremacy and racism, okay? The symbolic power of the low country planter aristocracy's horse track where they had displayed their wealth, their leisure, and their influence was not lost on the freed people. So they are having this march on this race course, which was a symbol of white supremacy, racism, wealth, etc. So this was like spitting in the face of white supremacy. A New York Tribune correspondent witnessed the event, describing the event, quote, describing it as a, quote, procession of friends and mourners as South Carolina and the United States never saw before. A procession of friends and mourners, mourners, as South Carolina and the United States never saw before. Okay. So let me look and see. Uh, okay. All right. So when we look at the evolution of Memorial Day, Memorial Day as Decoration Day gradually came to be known. Decoration Day gradually came to be known as Memorial Day. Originally honored only those lost while fighting in the Civil War because when it was created, the only... Basically, the, the biggest war that they had was the Civil War. You had the American Revolu Revolutionary War before that, but this celebration came about because of the Civil War. But during World War I, 1914 and 1918, the U.S. involvement in World War I, the United States found itself embroiled in another major conflict, and the holiday evolved to commemorate American military personnel who died in all of the wars. For decades, Memorial Day continued to be observed on May 30th, the date uh, General Logan had selected for the first Decoration Day. But in 1968, 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which established Memorial Day as the last Monday in May. And the, in the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, Holiday Act was, uh, was designed to create a three-day weekend and more three-day weekends for federal employees. 
This change went into effect in 1971. The same law also declared Memorial Day as a federal holiday. When we look at some Memorial Day traditions, we see cities and towns across the United States host Memorial Day parades each year, often incorporating military personnel and uh, members of, of veterans organizations. Some of the largest parades take place in Chicago, New York, and Washington, D.C. Americans also observe Memorial Day by visiting cemeteries and memorials. On a less somber note, many people throw parties and barbecues on the holiday, perhaps because it, it unofficially marks the beginning of summer. Okay, uh, And for more information on uh, Memorial Day, let's see. Uh, the Root.com had an article, um, and also um, were two articles from the Root. One, let's see, uh, Jasmine, uh, Janae Desmond Harris, who doesn't even write for the Root anymore. Uh, Janae Desmond Harris, she had an article from seven years ago, May 27, 2011, Memorial Day, Blacks were first to celebrate, Scholar says. Memorial Day. Blacks were first to celebrate, Scholar says. Okay? That's from the root.com. Check that out. Then also, there was one also that um, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. wrote as well, dealing with uh, uh, Memorial Day uh, also. Um, where is that article? It's called The Black Roots of Memorial Day. The Black Roots of Memorial Day. Uh, but Dr. Henry Lewis Gates Jr., okay? And that's from May 26, 2014. You can check that out also. That's at theroot.com as well, okay? All right, so uh, how's everybody doing? Um, you got Melvin. You got uh, who are Rhonda, uh, Kim. Kim said, loving the knowledge. Uh, Max. Uh, Rudy, Karen Gibson, Yvette, okay. Just a few of the people. Hey, everybody watching on Facebook, share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also, okay. Share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well. All right, so uh, I want to let you all know those in the Detroit area, once again, uh, I'll be speaking at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, May 29th. Uh, it's event taking place 10 a.m. to 12 noon, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And um, this is organized by uh, Phase Forward. Phase Forward, they're doing, they're showing an excerpt of the documentary, um, Out of Darkness, Out of Darkness, dealing with Nile Valley Civilization, dealing with ancient, uh, ancient Egypt. And this is open to the public. There'll be uh, some schools attending. There'll be uh, some school children there, uh, basically grade 6 to 12th grade, parents will be, some parents will be there as well, teachers, it's open to the public, bring the youth, it's a free event, and I'll be doing a presentation dealing with the film Black Panther, uh, I'll be speaking for about 30 minutes dealing with the film Black Panther, Black Panther analysis, I'll deal with some of the African cultural influences, uh, African spiritual influences, relate that to African history also. This is taking place uh, Tuesday, May 29th, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. 315 East Warren Avenue, Detroit, Michigan, in the uh, General Motors Theater. And we'll get this up on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. I have a vendor table there as well. I have my DVDs there also. Uh, so come check that out, okay? 
If you like this type of information, be sure to register for the uh, online courses that I teach um, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have them all on uh, demand. We have a bundle pack, uh, the 10 courses in the bundle pack, including Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach in school, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach in school. Okay, that's a 14-hour, seven-session online course. All these are on demand. Watch at your own pace. Um, you can uh, watch from around the world as well on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Okay, so this bundle pack's on sale $60, regularly $130. You can start watching as soon as you register. Okay. All right. Um, Dr. Ray Wimbush, I had him on the show last uh, last month. I'm oh, sorry, last week. And uh, he was the uh, keynote speaker at the um, African Liberation Day, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Took place um, May 25th and May 26th, Saturday, May 26th, Friday, May 25th. And on uh, Saturday, May 26th, he talked about uh, reparations. His presentation was on reparations and the case of reparations, what is reparations, et cetera, okay? Here is an excerpt of that presentation. Let's see. Thank you. 
Okay, so that, that's an excerpt of a presentation that Dr. Ray Winbush uh, did Saturday, yesterday, um, May 26th at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History Film and Reparations. We'll share some of that, some more of that uh, next Sunday on the show. We're going to start broadcasting on uh, Facebook. I have to start another broadcast on Facebook because we're broadcasting through Crowdcast, and it times out, and uh, we only have like two hours for the Facebook Live broadcast, okay? So uh, we'll continue. And um, let's see here. It's going to stop. Uh, we're still broadcasting on uh, Facebook Live. We're still broadcasting on Blog Talk Radio, okay? Still broadcasting on Blog Talk. All right. And then uh, lastly, uh, you know, last week I talked about, uh, we know last Saturday was the 93rd birthday of uh, Malcolm X, okay? So we talked about that. And I shared an excerpt of um, uh, Malcolm X. I, I shared an ex- excerpt from A. Peter Bailey. A. Peter Bailey um, spoke at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. And uh, he was a friend of Malcolm. Uh, he wrote a memoir about uh, his life and working with Malcolm in the organization of Afro-American unity, okay? And he wrote for the newspaper, okay? So uh, I wanted to share another excerpt of that because I only had time. Uh, last week, I only had time for a couple of minutes. So let me uh, let me see. Let's pull this up here. And, and what he did was he did a comparative analysis between Dr. King and Malcolm and their philosophies, but towards the end of their, both of their lives, you know, their ideologies were converging. So he was showing the similarities between uh, Malcolm and and Dr. King. Okay, he was showing the similarities. And and one of the things that people have to understand, and I'm going to put this on DVD also. I have so much uh, to put on DVD, and and, uh, I've done a lot of recording. Um. And I, I've talked about this in the past. Uh, the majority of Dr. King's fight was in the South. Okay, the majority of Dr. King's fight was in the South. He's dealing with Jim Crow. He's dealing with lynchings, things like this. And he's trying to get. Uh, he's trying to get uh, the U.S. He's trying to get the South to the level where the North is so that they can keep going. They can keep going in the movement, okay? African Americans in the South are way behind those in the North. Majority of Malcolm's fight is in, in the majority of Malcolm's fight is in the, uh, in the North, okay? The majority of his fight is in the North. So you're dealing with, um, you're going you're gonna to have these differences, okay? All right. So let's uh, let's try to start this on. Let's try to start another broadcast here on uh, on Facebook. Okay, so I'm gonna play this excerpt here of uh, A. Peter Bailey. We're gonna go to this here in just a minute. How's everybody doing? All right, hey, if you want to advertise with the African History Network, also uh, email us at info i n f o at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com also. 
want to advertise with the African History Network as well. We reach thousands of people on a weekly basis. We can help promote your uh, promote your website, your business, uh, your upcoming event. All right. And uh, I'll be in Atlanta in June at the uh, uh, at the uh, Juneteenth event, Morris Brown College, uh, taking place uh, Friday, June 15th through Sunday, June 17th. I'll be speaking there as well. And I'll probably be back in Atlanta in July for the Liberated Minds Black Homeschooling Education Expo. I think that's July 13th through the 15th. That's the third weekend in July. I'll be back for that also. Usually, usually there each year. <clears throat> Liberated Minds Black Homeschooling Education Expo. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to start this broadcast here on the Okay. All right, here we go. We can start back up here on uh, Facebook. Just give me a minute here. And be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All of my DVD lectures are there. Uh, I have about 40 of my presentations there. We have a bundle pack. We have a Black Panther uh, bundle pack. Uh, we get uh, five of my presentations and three documentaries including two of my presentations dealing with the film Black Panther. Okay. That's available uh, right now at uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's right on the home page. Okay. Let's start this up here on Facebook. All right. Welcome back. Okay. So, um, we had to start another broadcast here on Facebook because the first one I was broadcast through Crowdcast that timed out, timed out after uh, two hours. Okay, so how's everybody doing? Hey, I'm Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. So we're back. We're continuing the African History Network show for a little bit more here. Okay, so if you were watching uh, previously, uh, share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. All right. Okay, so um, last Sunday on the show, I was running out of time, and I played a few minutes of A. Peter Bailey. A. Peter Bailey spoke at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History Saturday, May 19th, uh, and that was the 73rd birthday of uh, Malcolm X, all right? And here's an excerpt of, uh, so he was doing a comparison between uh, Malcolm and Dr. King, okay? And uh, it was uh, shared concepts of Brother Malcolm and Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., A. Peter Bailey, who's an American journalist, author, and lecturer. And he's the author of the book um, dealing with uh, Brother Malcolm, uh, Brother Malcolm X, the Master Teacher, a memoir, okay, by A. Peter Bailey, all right? Let's go to this clip here. Let's go back a little bit here. 
Just one second, we have a little problem with the uh, the actual audio of this uh, speech. Just a second here. The the, the actual um, file that I have, the uh, video of this is dragging a little bit. Hold on just a second. I'm not sure why this uh, video is acting up. It's not Facebook this time. It's the actual file. It's dragging. You know what? Let me um, use a Windows Media Player. Let me open it up in um, a different uh, video player and see if that makes a difference. Just a second. So so those are tuning in, that's A. Peter Bailey. So A. Peter Bailey was a friend of Malcolm. 
he he, he was he's a journalist and he wrote for Malcolm's um, newspaper for the organization of Afro American Unity. Okay, and I, I've seen other interviews with him. I remember Roland Martin interviewed him back during the 50th anniversary of uh, Malcolm's birthday. Um, I mean, sorry, 50th. 50th anniversary of that. Gotta cue this back up. Let me leave off 19. Okay, so this is somebody, you have people who wrote books about Malcolm who didn't know. All right, so that's an excerpt of uh, A. Peter Bailey. I'm going to put that on DVD also. Some, just something with the playback of it, not the recording of it, it's the playback. So we'll have that available in the next week or so on DVD. Um, I was uh, up one night, what have you, doing some research. I was on Facebook, and uh, I saw a uh, post from NBC News. It's about a 1967 interview that NBC did with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So this was one year before he was assassinated. And this deals with after civil rights, black power, after civil rights, black power. Okay. Uh, This was, um, what was the date of this? This interview. Just a second. I'm trying to cue it up here. Um, this was in, I think it was in May of 1967. This interview was done. Okay. And uh, I'm trying to cue this up here. But I want you to hear this. And this is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He's talking about black power, but what he's talking about is, see, from 66 to 68, Dr. King transitioned from civil rights to human rights. He's focusing on the Poor People's Campaign. He uh, he comes out in opposition. Now, this was, um, actually, I think this was, this was from March. I think this was from March of 67, because this is one month before he came out in opposition against the Vietnam War. And when he came out in opposition against the Vietnam War officially April 4th, 1967, he became the most hated man in America. 
Okay. So let's see. This one, May, oh, May 8th, 1967. May 8th, 1967. Okay. This is the month after he came out in the uh, Vietnam War. Okay. So this is, uh, this is a rarely seen interview. It's in color of uh, Dr. King speaks bluntly about the new phase of the civil rights struggle for genuine equality. The new phase of the civil rights struggle for genuine equality. So um, this is 11 months before he was assassinated. In 1967, at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke with NBC News' Sander Vanneker, Van, uh, the reporter, Sander Vanneker, about the quote-unquote new phase of the civil rights struggle for genuine equality, okay? And uh, part I wanted to... Uh, zoom in on uh this 26 minutes you can listen to the full um interview yourself but i wanted to go to uh, about 15 minutes in let's go he was not looked upon as a human being with the same uh, status and worth as other human beings and the other thing is that human beings cannot continue to do wrong without this permission. All right, just a second here. It's,
All right, so that was from uh, May 5th, 1967. That was Dr. King. He was interviewed uh, by NBC News at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Uh, and NBC just recently restored that. That interview was all in color. Okay, so that's one of the few color interviews um, that we get to see about the King, especially that length. I've seen some on Merv, Merv Griffin's show. Um, I've seen the, you know, I've seen a lot of interviews with Dr. King. Uh, that's one of the, uh, one of the few that we, that we see in color of him, especially that length. It's about 26 minutes. All right. Okay. And, uh, just a couple of quick things, a couple of quick corrections. One, the Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, did not free the enslaved Africans. It was the 13th Amendment, okay? So they weren't freed in 1863. They're freed in 1865. It wasn't 244 years of slavery. It was 246 years of slavery, okay? One. Two, um, people have to understand the real fight for during the Civil Rights Movement was not for integration. It was desegregation. And he, and he talked about how, even though term integration, listen to when you look at the real fight, this would be segregation, and it's precipitated by Brown Board of Education. You know that that was a desegregation. The fight was to for full class citizenship. We wanted all of our rights full access. As he stated in the interview, he said the goal was not to give up what we have in our communities, not to give up our businesses, things like this. What people don't understand is that the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 1956 drive 41,000 miles U.S. Interstate Highway all across the U.S. and they run 16 thousands of homes. Okay? Which reduces our ability. It reduced our ability for self because our businesses were being wiped out through the Negro removal Okay, but the goal of the civil rights movement, anybody who thinks the goal of the civil rights movement was for us to give up what we had so we can live next to white people and sell them that's not they haven't studied King either. Most people That's number two. The third thing is you should read the text of the speech on the council check. I have a dream it's not to read the name of the speech. You wish you call the council check is that the name I have a dream they have to be there. And largely when he delivered when Dr. King delivered that on the twenty eighth, nineteen sixty three, that's a Lincoln Joy. Largely was not a significant speech. Became a significant speech years later. But if you you can go to loc.gov, it's a library Congress's website, loc.gov. Okay, and if you actually read it, you see Dr. King is talking about holding America accountable for a you note know, that we were given in 1863. And he said, when we try to cash that promissory note at the bank in 1963, 100 years later, that promissory note is. Sufficient food. Insufficient food. So 
when you read the, the speech, he's talking about economics, and he's talking about his right to free state racism. He talks about how uh, he can't stop while people on New York feels he has nothing to vote for. He talks about moving from smaller ghetto to larger ghetto. He talks about fighting against police brutality. Racism, bigots, things like this, discrimination. Okay? You actually read the speech. Now, this is before he even mentions the dream. Okay? Because Mahalia Jackson was sitting on the stage, and Mahalia Jackson said, Tell him about the dream, Martin. Now, this is after the majority of the speech had already elapsed. Because he was supposed to speak for about four minutes and 30 seconds. He spoke for about 16 minutes, almost 17 minutes. The majority of it, he spoke contemporaneously. But when you when you read about the speech and research the speech, which I have, his the original notes for the speech, the phrase "I have a dream" did not even appear in the original notes for the speech. So then, when Mahalia Jackson said, "Tell him about the dream, Martin," then he reverted back to a speech he delivered two months earlier in Detroit. So it's about the dream, but the dream was not about giving up what you have, as he said in the speech. What he's talking about is that having black skin not being a stigma. He's talking about not being penalized. Black because he talks, if you, want, if you listen to the entire um, interview, because it's 15 minutes, I, I skipped to about 15 minutes in. He talks about because of slavery, because of white supremacy, having black skin is a negative taint, it's a so when he talks about being judged by the content of your character, not the color of your skin, he's talking, he's not saying we don't want to be black. He's not saying we don't want to be African-American. He's not saying we don't, we don't want to be African-American. He's saying we don't want to be penalized for that. We don't want that stigma on us. So this is why you have to, this is why you have to read the text of the speech at loc.gov, Library of Congress's website, or archives.gov, National Archives. Because when you listen to it, and it's on YouTube, you can listen to the time speech. When you listen to it, you get caught up in the applause from the crowd. You get caught up in listening to Dr. King as opposed to actually reading his words or what he said. Because people, most, I hear people talk about the quote-unquote, I have a dream speech. 99% of people who talk about it do not understand it. Okay, and that speech he delivered there is a different type of speech than the speech you get at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, where the shackles are not on him. He can speak freely because, see, when you study the March on Washington, John Lewis was asked to tone down his speech. John Lewis, a snit, who's not representing John Lewis, he was about 25. He was asked by E. Philip Randolph to tone down his speech. Okay, because this is a, a march that was organized by the labor union. The labor movement first, then the civil rights movement was brought in. So John Lewis was asked to tone down his speech. And, and recently, uh, April, April 4th, right around April 4th, they had uh, documentaries and things like this about Dr. King. And they talked about this, and John Lewis talked about that. So he said, A. Philip Randolph at the time was 75 years old. John Lewis is about 25. And, and April of Randolph said he's been waiting like 50 years to have a march on Washington. So John Lewis yielded to the and he toned down the speech. 
Okay, so um, people really, most people do not understand Dr. King or Malcolm. Most people do not understand Dr. King or Malcolm. And as A. Peter Bailey said, and you've heard me talk about this before, July 31st, 1963, when Malcolm was still in the nation, Malcolm sends a letter to eight civil rights leaders, including Dr. King, asking for a meeting with them because he said they needed to be a unification of the leaders. They needed to be unification. Now, this is Malcolm, while he's still in the nation of Islam, saying this. And then March 26, 1964, when Malcolm meets Dr. King for that first and only time at the U.S. Senate debate for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Malcolm tells Dr. King that this is this is later in the same month that Malcolm separated from the Nation of Islam. So Malcolm officially separates from the Nation of Islam, March 8, 1964. He tells Dr. King he's going to throw all his effort into the Civil Rights Movement. Malcolm joins the Civil Rights Movement. Yes, he created the organization Afro-American Community, uh, Afro-American Unity. Yeah, you had other civil rights. You had other organizations also. Just because you were SNCC doesn't mean you're not, you, you, you don't work in the Civil Rights uh, Movement. Just because you're a member of the SCLC doesn't mean you don't work in the civil rights movement. Malcolm tells Dr. King he's going to throw all his effort into the civil rights movement because Malcolm, one of the problems Malcolm had with the Nation of Islam towards the end of his tenure was that the Nation of Islam was not involved in the civil rights movement. He felt they should be involved in the civil rights movement. If you watch the documentary and make it plain about Malcolm, they talk about that. He, he felt that the nation should be doing more to help our people. So Malcolm gets involved, and he helps radicalize the civil rights movement. But people don't know this. I listen to what people say about Malcolm. They don't know this. All right, so, hey, if you like this type of information, be sure to uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All my DVD lectures are there. Uh, we have a bundle pack right now. We have the uh, eight DVD Black Panther bundle pack. You get uh, eight of my – you get um, – Five of my lectures, including two of my presentations dealing with the film Black Panther. You get uh, three documentaries, 1804, dealing with the history of the Haitian Revolution, Elementary Genocide 3, uh, dealing with the school, to, fighting against the school to prison pipeline and educating African-American children. I'm in that documentary. Also, Black Friday Part 2, uh, I'm in that one as well. It deals with practical strategies for uh, economic empowerment for African-Americans. Then also... Um, so all that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We just posted it here on the thread of the broadcast. Um, and you can uh, read all the articles that I write. You can listen to the podcast of our shows uh, and, all, uh, and uh, order our DVDs also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And then also you can register for the online courses uh, that I teach. They're all on demand. We have a bundle pack right now. I do PowerPoint presentations. They're very visual. We have video clips. Um, this is a 10-course bundle pack on sale right now, $60. It includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understand the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach in school. So this is a 14-hour, uh, seven-session online course, and I do a PowerPoint presentation there as well. It's a lot of information. It's all on demand. And uh, we have other courses in the bundle pack also, like Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization, 
uh, African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, bullet suppressive reparations, a high election of consequences, and a lot more, okay? All right. So look, we're going to get out of here. Hey, remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. Talk to you next time. Peace. Talk to you next Sunday. All right, and thanks to those uh, that listened on Blog Talk Radio also.